Welcome to another episode of the Into the Wilderness podcast. We have a very special guest today from Denmark, and the podcast will be in two parts. We thought this was going to be like any other podcast, but once we got talking, we soon found ourselves at more than two hours. And that is the reason why this will be brought to you in two separate episodes. We discuss all manner of things. It's hard to know really where to start. We talk about rifle shooting, bow shooting. Bambi gets a mention. We delve deep into the ethics of hunting. And we also ask Ricky Gervais to hit us in the face. This podcast is brought to you by the Scottish Association for Country Sports. Welcome, everybody, to our latest instalment of our Into the Wilderness podcast. This week, we've got a slightly different format for everybody. We've only got one guest joining us on online over from Denmark. My brother is also in the studio with me as usual, but this time he's going to be uh, taking part in some of the questionings. I have to admit that I've really been looking forward to, to doing this interview ever since I, I knew it was going ahead a couple of weeks ago. We've got David Carson-Peterson um, joining us, who is a, a very interesting character who I met some weeks, maybe months back now, um, actually over over in Denmark on a, on a trip that we were both on. And we're going to be talking about some films that he's made. Um, as well as the a television series that he has uh, ongoing in Denmark. So, David, if we, we just start off just to let everybody know, wh- what do you do on your sort of day-to-day life? Um, actually, uh, I, uh, I, try to, uh, I try to make a living out of uh, telling people how wonderful and exciting and important it is that we as hunters allowed to do what we do and uh, that we are uh, how we're responsible for uh, the environment around us and and that creates a very uh, uh, a very uh, non-typical uh, day-to-day job where sometimes I'm uh, spending a couple of uh, days in the forest sometimes I'm sitting in uh, meetings with uh, different people and organizations and other times I'm writing articles and uh, making movies so it's a uh, um, pretty much everything that has to do with hunting, I have my hands in it at some point or uh, some way or the other. Now, we're going to talk about one of your films, Heritage, which I suppose probably really, if you anybody watches it, gives the people a good idea of how you got to where you are. But just in a couple of minutes, just explain how you got to where you are today and what's influenced you to that point. Um, I, I I grew up with hunting. I think hunting has always been a part of uh, who I am. It's it's uh, it's a very strong family tradition. I started hunting with my dad when I was I think he brought me when I was three, uh, and I actually remember some of the first hunts uh, sitting next to my dad and him shooting uh, roebucks uh, uh, running across the road. Um, so yeah, I was uh, I was scarred uh, from an early age. Um, and then, uh, growing up like that with all my cousins and all my, uh, uh, and my parents and my sister and brother, uh, hunting, it's, it's hard not to get that under your skin. And, uh, it's, it's always been whatever I did growing up, hunting was always something that, that you could go back to. Um, it's a thing that I shared with my father when, um, when he wasn't working, then we would go hunting and really spend some time together. So uh, it's 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 very much a way of uh, for me. It's a way of connecting with with my family, but it's also a way of 
creating some sense in, in modern society. Um, and uh, I kind of decided when I, was, when I finished um, my studies that uh, I, wanted to, uh, I wanted to actually um, contribute to uh, saving this uh, fantastic thing that we have because uh, uh, it kind of dawned on me that if, if everybody leans back and just says, okay, well, I like doing this, but I'm not going to participate in the fight to, to keep it or to better it, then uh, it, it can be gone quite fast. And in that period of time when I started out, um, um, hunting wasn't very, it wasn't very fashionable. It wasn't something that you did not see uh, pictures of hunters in fashion magazines, and you did not see trophies on the wall in uh, big uh, um, fashionable um, shops. So uh, it was a little bit against the stream, but now it's uh, definitely <laughs> turned the other way around, especially in Denmark. Uh, hunting is, has become extremely popular um, and, uh, and also very accepted. So it's, it's, it's interesting to have been a part of that transition from being something that was outside of society and something now that's um, that's more accepted. Um, yeah, I know when I first met you, I think we were sitting around a fire the one night and we were having a very similar discussion to this. And I, I it amazed me just how much what you were, were saying and I was just listening echoed exactly my thoughts. And I, I am very much of the opinion that, you know, we, we do have a, a fight on our hands and like you have just said, if I can echo that again, we can't sit back and enjoy doing what we've been doing and doing what we're doing for the, the greater good of, of management and wildlife without telling everybody what we're doing. And I, I've said this in previous podcasts, actually, but I think that we are have definitely been guilty of that in the past, in the past of just getting on with it without expressing and letting everybody know just what a good job we're doing. Yeah, there, there used to be this thing in the 80s and, and early 90s uh, with hunters in Denmark uh, and, and most of Europe, actually, where we were a little bit like, if nobody talks about it, then we're probably safe. Um, and the problem is that in modern media, um, if you don't make the noise, somebody else will. Uh, and I think from a, from a hunter's perspective, we've been very, very good at um, what we're actually doing um, uh, outside of society, what we're doing with the game and management side, but uh, the whole cultural side, we haven't focused on that. And that's where um, you can say, well, I won't, I'm not going to say the other side, but uh, people who are against hunting or people who have other uh, ideas of how deer should be managed and what we should do, um, they're very, very good at working on emotional levels and cultural levels um, and if you want to win that battle, you have to participate in it where it's actually being fought. Um, that's why like, I'm, a, I'm a big believer in uh, using Facebook and using social media very aggressively to say, well, this, this is who we are. This is what we do. We don't hide anything. You can't, um, uh, you can't, uh, you can't just say that hunters are like this, 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 because this is what we do. This is what it looks like. And then, you can base your opinions on facts instead of rumors. Because I think um, most people, actually, especially most Europeans, when you introduce them to hunting in the right way and you kind of let them in uh, into our world um, and show them what actually happens and how we use the meat and all that stuff, um, most people can understand it and they accept it, especially if you say, well, where did your state come from? 
do you know what the cow you're eating right now, do you know what it looked like when it died? Um, it freaks out quite a lot of people when you start asking questions like that. Yeah, no, um, you're, you're so right there. And it's, it's a, you know what, it's actually a game that I play from time to time, depending on what kind of mood I'm in. I was sitting yeah. around a table uh, with somebody um, which in my, my, uh, my other life and my other job, he sits quite, quite a bit above me, but I get on very well with him. And we were talking about one thing and the other. And he's very much, I wouldn't say he's an anti-hunter, but he, he has no concept of, of the countryside. He basically spends his life in the city. And he was asking me, you know, how do you not feel bad? How how can you kill something and eat it off? You know, do you not? Does it not bother you? And I said to him, well, I said I got a simple example for you. We were we were eating lunch, and he had his mince and tatties on his uh, on his plate. And I said, well, you're currently eating a cow right now. And I said, and I spent about thirty seconds explaining to him what the life of a cow is like from the point where it's going to the abattoir to to being put on his plate. And then I explained to him what wild meat looks like and painted a, a similar picture, but obviously at the opposite end of wild uh, game and venison. And I said, which, which would you prefer? And he couldn't actually finish his food and he had to go and put it in the bin because he, uh, he and a lot of people don't ever really think about the process that animals go through to, to end up on your plate. But we, um, we, we, d- we touched on this on, on another podcast about how the importance of it's it's our responsibility as as hunters and that to educate people in this fact because otherwise um like david said a lot of people they just gather their information online um and and a lot of it's not actually based on on much fact um some of the stuff that you you it, that's easily accessible um online um and the education is really important on teaching people where their food comes from yeah it's um it's 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 really I think it's really important that we uh, that we as hunters kind of uh, get with the program on that side because um, the the cultural war is actually that's that's what it's about it's it's not about management it has nothing to do with biology it's nothing to do with numbers of game it has something to do with uh, a view on why we don't feel guilty about killing stuff and that that is that is when you look at the the antis or when you look at the the discourse of a lot of the criticism it basically all boils down to the problem thou shalt thou shalt not kill and if you do you should feel guilty about it mm-hmm. um and then it's easier to feel guilty uh, to to kind of push that guilt away and uh put the meat in the bin if you don't actually see the animal. So the more you distance yourself from the animal, the easier it is to forget that it's actually an animal. Um, the sad part about that is that I have, I have a serious problem eating meat from uh, industrially produced meat uh, because once you, once you get your head around how that cow actually lives and then you get your head around how your deer actually lives, it, it's very hard to live with that fact that the cow you're eating right now is being raised in, in horrible, horrible uh, conditions sometimes. Um, and uh, I'm try, I try to I try to kind of turn it around when when people say, "Well, how can you? Don't you feel bad about it?" And say, "No, but don't don't um, I, I don't feel bad about it. I take responsibility for it. Um, I know where my food comes from, and I'm I'm proud of that animal, and I try to." 
uh, I try to honor it by eating as much as possible. When when you, you say that this, this guy he ends up throwing out the meat um, from the cow, that's just it actually that that really um, uh, that that really shows how uh, how deep the double standards go. Because once he finds out that he remembers, oh, this was actually a breathing thing as well. Um, he distances himself from it by by throwing it out. Yeah, and that is that is the biggest disrespect you can show an animal that died to put food on your plate. Yeah, I mean that's the the one thing I always try and explain to people is that when I'm hunting, uh, we've actually just my brother and I have just finished uh, making the first first film of our series, and we explained it there. Is that I take a, a massive amount of enjoyment from hunting and the whole process. That, that goes into that from start to finish. I don't take any pleasure out of the killing of the animal, but that is the end act of hunting. And like you, you know, you've just explained, it is all part of the process of putting meat on the table. And what we were doing was part of a, a, a greater management plan as always it should be, but trying to explain to, to non hunters that you can enjoy what you're doing but you don't, you know, you're not gleeful of the fact that you've killed someone. There's a massive amount of respect for the animal that has essentially given its life so that you and I and my brother and everybody else can eat. Yeah, and you have a responsibility towards that animal to, to use it as much as possible and to make sure that that death is not in vain. Um, and it's, yeah, I've had this, I've, we've all had this talk a million times with people at dinner parties and... I've also had it a few times with very militant vegans, which is also, uh, uh, it's, that's also very fun. Um, and I, I do respect that sometimes some people will say, okay, I, I'm, I can't live with the fact that something has to die for me to live. Um, so that means I won't eat meat. And that's, I'm fine with that, but you also, you can also turn that around and saying, well, guys, um, you do know that a lot of animals and a lot of natural areas disappear because of uh, the production of your food. Um, everything from palm oil, uh, if you uh, if you have products with palm oil in them from uh, uh, Sumatra, um, that that's a huge problem. That's that's basically killing orangutans right now. Um, and so so everything you do has an impact. You can't live your life as, as humans. We can't live our lives without having an impact on our environment. But as hunters, we actually have an, a unique opportunity to make that impact as small as possible, but also as positive as possible. Because uh, we were all raised that death is something negative. Um, it's, a, it's very much a cultural thing. It's a philosophical thing. It's, it's based on our, uh, on, uh, on religion. It's, it's, it's totally ingrained in our society that death is not a good thing. But everything dies all the time. Animals die in the forest every day. Um, so the question is, how can we how can we turn that that thing that's very much a part of life? How can we turn that into something positive, where uh, an animal just it, it doesn't disappear? When you put when people ask me, why do you put your the heads on the walls? Um, why do you have trophies on your walls? I have most of my trophies uh, from the stuff I shoot in Denmark. I have that in my kitchen. Because then I can look up on the wall when I'm cooking this thing. And when people ask me, what are we having? I said, that guy. <laughs> um, and I think that uh, it does sound a little bit morbid. 
but it's also it's it's a way of of keeping this animal alive in memory if a if a red stag if it if it dies on the mountain and nobody sees it then that thing is gone if you don't tell the story about this magnificent stag that was in its prime and got taken at the exactly right time if you tell that story then that that animal lives on um, and it's it's the same thing about my connection with my grandfather. When I tell stories about my grandfather, my grandfather is still around. Um, and uh, it's funny that the more I talk about him, the more I the more I remember about him, mm-hmm. and um, the more you kind of want his memory not just to fade away. And it's it's written on all his his trophies. When you look at all the all the bucks he shot, his life is connected to the animals that. Uh, he took um, while he was hunting, so it's it's kind of this whole meat and trophy thing. There's there's a big discussion among hunters sometimes, it's especially on Facebook, that um, people go, oh, "Are you a meat hunter? Or are you a trophy hunter?" And I usually tell people that I'm I consider myself 100% a trophy hunter because for me a trophy is a story. Um, a trophy hunt is not the same thing that you run around with your measuring tape and you have to shoot the biggest thing around. Um, for me, it's it's about p- the pursuit of stories that makes your life worth living um, and the connection you have with these animals. I think a, a beautiful trophy could be uh, 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 the skin from uh, a female deer that you shot with your uh, with your girlfriend or that your girlfriend shot or uh, that you have a connection with. Um, so it's not about size, it's about history and stories and remembering these animals. And I haven't seen any butchers who have put the heads of all the cows they've slaughtered up on the wall. I've, I, I've never seen that. I think you'd need a very big butcher <laughs> shop. Um, yeah, no. you, you probably do. Um, <laughs> there's, a, there's a huge amount that you said there that, uh, I mean, I can absolutely echo. There's a couple of things I just want to sort of pull back on yeah. and eventually we're gonna we'll get to your grandfather because that ties in very nicely to the the film that you've you've made heritage Uh, when you were talking about um you know non-meat eaters and expressing the fact to them that do you know what has potentially died and the land management changes that have to um have to take take over areas that might have otherwise been used for well or not being used might have been a natural resource for orangutans or whatever else it is i just wanted to bring up the point that everybody has blood on their hands even if they don't realize it i think the difference is that with hunters or as hunters and that sort of way of thinking is that we're taking responsibility for the blood that's on our hands and we're okay with that and we've accepted it and we've embraced it as part of life whether it's you know um, someone having to go and shoot rabbits on a crop because that crop is uh, being damaged and that crop will then go into potentially a vegan diet that animals have died for in order for them to eat it, or it be for you know some cosmetics that require certain lands to be used for things other than what the natural habitat could be. Everybody has blood on their hands in some shape or form. It might just not be as intrinsically connected as uh, the one-to-one person to to meet. I mean, it goes all the way from, from like you said, 
a rabbit that could be potentially on on some land that they need to shoot all the way to small mammals mice all the way to insects which i mean you can't deny if if you're producing a crop or whatever yeah you might get natural pesticides and all these kind of things something is going to die to um so that you can eat regardless of you're a vegan or not something an insect will die the hypocrisy there i always find quite amusing because they're very quick to stand back and say you know we are not guilty but you as a hunter you're guilty yes it's it's it all boils down again it's 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 that whole guilt complex um and uh the, the guilt complex being that um somebody else is guiltier than i am somebody else can be blamed for something i actually don't understand i don't understand the incentive to hate hunters so much like what is it in the great scheme of things if you if you if you set your mind if you actually look at the facts of what we do and how we do it when we do it right um what is it that you hate so much what did we actually do to you um i think the problem that many people have it it all all boils down to the fact that that when you look at that animal you see a beautiful animal that your instinct doesn't tell you to kill it. Um, that's the the anti-hunting in, uh, incentive. But when 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 as a hunter, when you see the animal, when I see a roe deer, my first instinct is not to kill the deer. But in the back of my mind, I know that the the, the land and the and the way the whole thing is set up. If I want to manage the manage this right, then this animal has to die at some point. It will die. I can't forget that fact. So the question is, am I going to take responsibility for this life? Or am I just going to leave it to chance and let the animal die possibly a lot slower and uh, a lot less comfortable than, than what I can do? Um, so uh, it's again, um, I, I think you have to be a hunter, and I think you also have to have been a hunter for maybe quite some time to start understanding the love that many hunters have for animals and uh, um, all the emotions that goes into uh, management of, especially management of deer. I, I'm personally, I think uh, roe deer are some of the cutest animals on the, on the, the, the face of the planet. Um, and uh, I actually, I'm starting to have a little bit of a problem shooting roe deers in my own forest because I spend so much time looking at these things and uh, checking them on cameras and race to them and following them. And then when it finally comes to actually shooting them, um, you start being a little bit like, ah, I could get a, uh, maybe one more year. Or, uh, it's only like, okay, this one is standing exactly where it should be. There's no chance that this is not going to be the right shot. Okay, yes, you've you, had it. We, we're going to take you off. You need to stop, um, you need to stop naming your rodeo. That's the problem. Yeah, no, I didn't name them. Um, no, I think that's that's. I don't think we should. Uh, you name your pets. Um, <laughs> animals aren't pets. Um, but no, I mean, and... a lot of people that that sort of connection that you've just described, and this is going to take us into your film heritage. I mm. think that that sort of connection that you've described is a very difficult thing to express across the people who haven't had that, you know, that that deep. Um, Try, I, I can't even quite put it into words, but you, you know you know what I'm talking about. When you spend so long in a place and you're surrounded by everything that's there, everything that's natural, everything that's wild, when you're in those wild places, 
you basically become at one with it and yeah. it, it the the forest or, or the hill if if it's hill ground or you know the the bush if you're out in africa almost accepts you and it's yeah. very hard to feel that connection if you're not a hunter yeah it becomes it, I, I always feel very much at home in the bush i have a i have a good friend who's a ph in south africa who uh, taught me quite a lot, also from a philosophical point of view, and he says when he walks into the bush, that's his church. That's like walking into his church. And I feel the same way, um, but I'm, I have this very homely feeling. Um, I'm, I'm never scared in the forest. I'm not, I don't feel uh, pushed out. You can feel disconnected when in your city or if you are in some in one area where you kind of feel a bad vibe. Um but I don't get that feeling in the forest. And the more you, the more you relax in sort of any natural habitat, um, the more you get that that grounded connection with everything around you. And uh, it's actually gotten to a point for me where um, I, I've, I have I have one problem with hunting that I'm um, not very proud of. It's it's actually quite a major problem for me. Um, I really don't like getting up early in the morning. Um, <laughs> I think I think I'll I'll join you on that one as well. Yeah, that that, that is actually my only problem. Um, so I've started to uh, to snooze quite a lot when I'm out. Um, if I can sneak off half an hour uh, on the side when I'm in the forest, I will lay down under a tree in the rain and just sleep for half an hour and get up and, and keep hunting. Um, and and you can only do that if you if you are so relaxed that you're not going to freak out that a fox is going to come and bite your ear. Um, people are scared of really strange things. Um, and, and having that, that feeling that, that you don't walk, you don't go outside, you, you open the door to your home when you go into the forest. Um, it's, it's very much a mental thing, and it's something that the more you, the more you spend time with your animals and with the trees and just on the ground, uh, I think the more you develop that connection. Um, but I, I think you're right that the, the problem is a lot of people are extremely disconnected from their own natural reality. Um, I mean, and, and sorry, sorry, carry on, dude. Yeah, um, I've actually I've experienced uh, I had a uh, I had a great experience of that that difference between connection and disconnection is that we had some guests from Singapore who uh, visited us in our forest, and I took them out uh, driving around. It's a Beautiful Danish forest. There's absolutely nothing dangerous there. Um, but they really enjoyed it. They really learned from it. But they were also a little bit scared about it because are there any dangerous animals? Are there any snakes? Uh, can this plant be poisonous? Uh, of course, it's because from an upbringing in a uh, in a in a uh, environment where there are actually poisonous animals, you start getting a little bit worried. Um, but but seeing my home with completely foreign eyes um, really made me realize that when we travel to, if we go to Borneo or Sumatra, when you, when you visit a tribe in Borneo, they, they have the same connection with their surroundings as I have with my con- uh, surroundings at home. Um, that, that hunters who are very passionate about their area or who really knows the area and feel at home in it, they have a connection, a mental connection, um, and you can, um, uh, and you probably always, we probably always had that as as hunters going back in in history, 
Um, and it's only that the, the disconnection uh, steps in when people spend less and less and less time, um, not just outside, not running or biking or whatever, not not action sports, but just sitting next to a tree. I think a lot of people would would benefit extremely by sitting in a tree stand for six hours without an iPhone. Yeah, um, I mean, you know, I, I think you've hit the nail on the head there because a lot of people don't just stand or sit and listen and smell and watch. Uh, my brother and I, we, we've just come back from Sky. Very evident this week of, of exactly what you've just been talking about right there. Yeah, uh, we, were, we were sitting up on a mountainside. I think you saw what I sent you one or two of the pictures. So you could see where we were right up in the, the granite tops of the Coolins. And we're, we're spying for, uh, for, for deer, for stags. And we're watching, and some of the places around there are quite popular for, for walkers because there's quite a lot of Munros around there, people like going up to the tops. And we were watching the odd person walk up the up the hillside and then up into the sort of steep mountainside. And we watched this, these two walkers merrily going along the walker's path, walk right underneath a stag that was holding about half a dozen hinds, and they didn't even see it. It wasn't until they were a few hundred meters, they walked within about 70 meters of it, it wasn't until they walked a few hundred meters past and he got up and he gave a roar that they looked back at what was going on. And then another good example of that was uh, when we were dragging the stag that we had shot off the hill a couple of days later. We dragged this stag right past a guy. I mean, what was he, Daryl? 50 meters away? Le- I would say less than 50 meters. Less than 50 meters away. And he had his headphones in and he was taking pictures of the mountainside and he left that hill without even knowing that uh, a stag had been dragged within 50 meters of him. Didn't, didn't even see us the whole time. Not, not one glance. Yeah. Um, I've, I have similar experiences when I'm, in, uh, when I'm in the forest with my bow because we are so, it, it's so quiet and it's so thick. Uh, so when you have, um, uh, when you have uh, people walking their dogs or uh, just uh, running in the forest, um, the way of that that they have no idea you're there and and to watch how people actually act uh in the forest when they, when they don't know that anybody's looking um i'm i'm sometimes a little bit amazed that, that 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 they don't just stop and listen and smell and sit down and chill out and just take the whole experience uh into them and uh also um, running with uh, earphones in the forest, I, I don't understand that because you have so many sounds that you're actually missing a huge part of the picture if you don't get the sounds. But yeah, be- people are different. I, um, the, the thing about you said with with, uh, with looking up uh, or looking down and not not actually seeing your surroundings. I think for me, the the mentality of being a hunter, uh, you don't actually have to hunt. It's more of um, uh, mentality of connection that that you want that connection that you you have to see and and, and a sense of, of adventure is that you you have to see what's on the next horizon you you have to just crawl up on the top of the mountain just to see if there's a stag you might not have your rifle but it would be really cool um, and it's just this 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 burning desire to climb that tree uh, and you can see it when you're in the when you're in the city and you you walk down um, uh, pedestrian streets, um, whether people they look down on their shoes or on their phones or if they look up on the on the roofs or on the buildings and their surroundings. And and my my bet is that you will find a lot more hunters looking up 
because you start getting away, when you start being aware of your surroundings and finding out that the little details everywhere are actually quite exciting. Um, then it's it's very hard to throw that. I think and that's that's it's also what I want to inspire people to that that hunting is not you're not you're not just a hunter when you take your when you put your uh, camo jacket on and you take your rifle out of the car. That's not when you become the hunter. A hunter is a mental state, and um, you you not you don't become a hunter by getting a hunting license, um, and you don't have to have a hunting license to have that mental state. Um, it's it's something that we're starting to see more and more in Denmark, and it's a uh, it's in uh, in Scandinavia that it, this has become more of a mental thing than it's just the physical um, uh, the physical uh, act of going out and shooting something and eating yeah. eating it. I mean, you're, um, you're right though. It it is the little things. It's the little things that are important. I mean, you should have seen my brother when he saw a frog. We, we saw this frog bounce off bounce off the stone into the grass. You would think it was Christmas. Uh, I get very excited over insects and amphibious animals and that. I love things like that. That's what gets me me really excited. So, so we're hunting this massive, you know, majestic animal on, on the hillside on the stag. And I think he was more excited over the frog than he was about seeing a deer. But you know that is, that's exactly I think what you what you're saying. I mean, it's all about that, and it's about being being at one with your surroundings and really appreciating every little part of, of the the wilderness, the managed wilderness, if you like, that makes it what it is. And it's seeing yeah. it in the first place. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I, 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 I'm just. Um... I'm just picturing the frog right now. Uh, <laughs> well, well, you'll you'll get to see him when when we release the when we release the series. You'll get to the see series. the frog. You'll get to see the frog. Now I'm I'm going to move I'll, on. I'm going to looking forward to the frog. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to move on actually because uh, we've been talking and talking. It's been a great chat, but I haven't even got to your films yet, and this was the first thing that was on my list. So, um, I think we're going to talk about heritage, which is is really. I think for anybody to watch it, I said this earlier, will will tell you who you are if you watch it. But can you just tell me, you know, why why did you make it for those people who haven't seen it? What's it about, and why should they go and watch it? Um, I've I've I wanted to make uh, I wanted to make a movie that showed um, who we are as hunters from from the inside. Uh, it's something that I've wanted to do for a while. Uh, I think we have. We have a tendency, uh, we've had a tendency that when we make hunting movies, it's a lot of it evolves around the kill. And as we've talked about, in my opinion, the kill is not the exciting part. The kill is just a very ne- necessary part because you you can't really eat an animal that's not dead. Um, and I wanted to I wanted to show the the inside of uh, of the hunters who spend so much time and energy on on finding these animals, but also on on that the whole background why why do we end up being who we are? Um, and uh, it's something that I talked a lot with um, the director of the movie uh, Joachim about that how how do we actually how do we show the soul and not just the uh, not just a shot. Uh, and it's it's always easy just to take um, take take yourself as an example because there's so many um, I think there's so many stories that 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 I haven't told yet about uh, 
that we hadn't talked yet about who we are on that level. Um, we we wanted to I wanted to do the, the the heritage movie about the bow hunt in my grandfather's forest because um, it's something that I've, I've always wanted to uh, to sh- actually I always wanted to shoot a buck in his forest with a bow. It's something that we've talked about since we were uh, tiny kids. Um, that's actually that's the first forest uh, I hunted in when I was three with my dad. And me and my cousins, we used to play around with bows. Um, we're not allowed to hunt with bows in Denmark until we are uh, 16 and we get our hunting license. But we're allowed to run around the forest and shooting uh, sticks and stumps and stuff. Um, and it's it's kind of been and I it's kind of been um, like the holy grail of uh, my family, uh, or like just my cousins and me. And I'm I'm the only uh, I'm the only one of my cousins who actually got the bow hunting license. Um, and my grandfather never did. I know that he wanted to, and he uh, he used to shoot a longbow. And my grand uh, my grandmother also shot a longbow. Um, and and I know that they they would have wanted this to happen for their grandchildren. So it was kind of trying to fulfill um, something that uh, it, was, it was trying to fulfill a story that hadn't been told yet. Uh, I have all these stories about my grandfather who did all these things, uh, but he never shot a roebuck with a bow, and he he would have wanted to do that. So it was kind of it was kind of doing it for him. Um, that was the initial idea, and then while we were doing the movie, it kind of dawned on me that this this movie was more than an unfolding of my relation with my grandfather and with my forest. Um, it's right now it's. Um, we inherited the forest, uh, and uh, it's uh, my dad who uh, uh, who runs it now. And um, and and getting to explore that that connection, my connection with my father, my connection with my grandfather, that emotional level, um, it actually brought quite a lot of things uh, out. And there, there's going to be some scenes in the movie that you see where. Uh, it's, it's quite emotional, and it was quite emotional. We had a the whole movie is shot during a, a week where we hunted, what, seven to nine hours every day. Um, it was actually quite brutal because while we were doing it, we had that whole mental side. Um, when you have a camera on you all the time and you kind of, you you, you open up your, um, your heart to all these emotions that comes in and the potential of failure. Um, what does this mean to you? Uh, how does this hit you? And, and I was I was hit quite hard, but also because it really dawned on me that that this forest, um, my grandfather and grandmother, they're, they're still alive in the forest. They're alive in the trees. They're alive in in the memory of what they did. Um, and it's kind of my responsibility now, and my my, my father's responsibility, and my future kids to keep them alive by keeping the trees alive, by keeping the animals alive, by, um, by preserving what they, what they created, but also doing it in their spirit, which is making it better. It's not conservation for me. is not about bottling up this thing. We shouldn't put a fence around the, the forest and just say, okay, all the trees that my grandfather planted, they are sacred and they should never be cut down. Um, a forest is a living thing that keeps evolving. 
and we are much as, as much as part of this forest as the trees and the road is and uh, um, the foxes. Um, and there's there's a lot of these things that kind of that, that dawned on me while we were making the movie. Um, so when we finally get the prize, uh, it was quite a it was quite an emotional experience, but it was also a little bit sad because. Um, when you want something so bad and you really, really work for it, then all of a sudden it's there and the bug is on the ground and you succeeded, but you didn't... That's only a tiny part of the story. The the bug on the ground and the dead animal is a, is a little point in that whole line of events. Um, and it, it took me... It took me a little while just to get my head around that this was not the end of that story. It was just the beginning of the next story. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, the, my brother and I, we, we've taken a lot of inspiration in terms of the, you know, the, the look and feel of, of your film. And I, I encourage anybody, even though it's, it's not, in, not in English, there's English subtitles, I encourage anybody to watch it if you really want to kind of a feel it, it for it. It really what is a, a beautifully shot piece of uh film work as well as the story is really nice yeah and that's uh that's all Joachim. he uh, we had an extremely good photographer on that film uh he's uh, he's very very talented uh, and the, the the one thing as Byron just said th- this particular film heritage isn't actually in english but if anything i would say it adds for me personally it actually adds to the film it not being english I mean, it's got english subtitles but for me it adds to the film um, yeah, I definitely shouldn't put anybody off watching it just because it's not in English. No, I encourage anybody to, to watch it. And yeah. I, I think, it, like Daryl said, it added that certain character. Obviously, your, your English is well, probably better than ours. <laughs> um, but the fact that you did it in your, your, your native tongue actually added a lot of character yeah, we, to we, it. We, we, had a, we had a discussion about it um, because originally we wanted to do it uh, in, in English. Um, but the, the problem was that uh, since this was not a movie about an animal getting shot, but a movie about a hunter opening up his heart and letting people inside, um, it wouldn't make sense to do it in another language than the instinctive language of this person. So if it would have been a, a, a Kenyan, we would have done it in Swahili, uh, because you're, the emotion that comes out in your native language will always be it'll always be that, that much stronger because you don't have to think about your words. Um, and it's also like Danes, we were all raised with uh, TV shows that were subtitled. So we are totally used to, if you want to watch a movie in another language, it's not a problem, you just read the subtitles. So we thought that for once, then everybody else should be uh, suffering the same problems that we have. <laughs> no, I, um, thought, I thought it worked really well. Thank you very much. It's um, I'm 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 very proud about it. Uh, I think it, uh, and and we had some we had some amazing feedback. Uh, it's also when you, when you put out a movie like that, um, where what happens on screen is what actually happens, um, then you you're always a little bit you're always a little bit worried about reaction. You know the uh, the roar of uh, the uh, Facebook community. Um, but we've had some we've had some very emotional uh, reactions and some some people who really uh, they they reconnected with some memories about their own family and we've had people I had I had one guy who wrote me and said that that 
he he was always raised hunting, but he never got his license, and he never really he never really got around to doing it. And then he watched the movie, and now he decided that he he wanted to take up hunting because he he missed that connection. And he was forty. Um, so he'd gone through his whole life, and he said he was very thankful that, um, was very thankful that this this movie had reconnected him with something that he was missing, and um, that's 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 quite something when when you when you make something and it actually works and you actually uh, touch people and change their minds. I mean that that just shows you that the power of not only the, the message that you're telling because I mean. Th- I mean, the people will watch this. We'll put a link in um, in the podcast for people to watch the the heritage. But I mean, it, it it's a very emotional for you, emotional story about your grandfather and your father. But it also very emotional, and you go into everything that we've just discussed in in the last half an hour um, about mm-hmm. hunting um, and yourself. Yeah, it's 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 if you. Um, Again, it's it's a very honest film. Um, I don't, uh, uh, with all of the projects that I make, I have this principle that uh, we don't lie. Uh, we don't. Um, it's so easy when you make movies, when you make films, when you make television to uh, put in the after effects and 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 play around with the camera angles and tell the story in in, in a little bit of a different way than what might have happened in real life. Uh, but I think there's a there's a very there's a very strong uh, there's a, there's a very strong position in saying that okay what happens is what happens if we don't shoot an animal that's the reality of hunting it's this is who we are um, and I do feel that especially when you work in the field of telling hunting stories you must never forget that it's actually real animals that we are uh, in the pursuit of. It mustn't become a question of bagging a trophy for the sake of the movie. Yeah, yeah. Um, the animal is still the animal. If you play tennis or play golf, knock yourself out. You can uh, cheat all you want. Um, but this is this is still we are still taking we're still taking a life, and that should be taken very seriously. I've had some some very serious discussions about this with some TV producers once or twice. We said, ah, but couldn't we? And what if we? And ah, we can just. And said, no, this is it's not going to happen. Um, and uh, it's it's something that I'm quite proud of because uh, it means that uh, when you look back on your life, when I'm at at some point, luckily, reached the uh, ripe age of 82, which my grandfather did, <laughs> you can look back and say, okay, we we did this, we did this honestly. Did the animals that we took, the lives that we took. Um, they weren't taken in vain. All the animals on the wall, those are those are the real memories. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that uh, in in the hunting industry and in the hunting world, where uh, hunters like telling stories, and sometimes they also tell them to themselves, um, I think you, you you cheat yourself a little bit if you don't do it with the utmost honesty. Um, yeah. Yeah, and no, I, I mean, I, I totally, I, I agree with you. And I, one, we're, we're going to talk about your next film very shortly. After we, we got a couple of questions on heritage, which I just want to go through. I think my yep. brother's going to ask a few of them. But uh, when we talk about your next film uh, that, that you actually made before heritage, um, I think it was in conjunction with Zeiss. Is that mm, correct? Yeah. Yeah. When we talk about that, uh, we'll maybe look a, a little bit further into you know other films that have been made in the last few years and sort of your opinion of maybe 
the perception that we give uh, the general public when these films go out there that are not made like the one that you've made. Uh, but we'll, we'll touch on that in a bit. Um, Daryl, you've got a, a couple of questions actually on this on this film, which I think uh, tie in nicely with what we've just been talking about. Yeah. So um, basically, the the first the first question you'll notice in the film that you're actually shooting with a bow, uh, which obviously in the UK we don't do any um, bow hunting in the UK, and we just wanted to know why why bow hunting for you instead of a rifle. Um. Well, I'm also a rifle. I also hunt with a rifle and with shotguns as well. Uh, but the bow is um, the bow connects you with the animal in a very different way than the rifle. When the when the when the uh, when I stalk with my uh, with my rifle, at the time the hunt ends, when I pull the trigger and the animal goes down, that's actually where the bow hunt starts. Um, if you see a buck a hundred meters away uh, with your bow, you're not even you don't even have a chance of shooting it. Um, you have to get within twenty meters of it, um, which, which is pretty hard. Um, and and that that challenge really it really um, it demands a lot of you. It it you you can't. Uh, you can't just sit back and relax and and just uh, yeah take an easy shot. There are no easy shots with a bow. Um, it's all you get in so close to the animals that they're fight or flight zone. You are you are well within that. Um, also, I've, I've bow hunted um, uh, musk ox in Greenland, and and bow hunting uh, a very very big animal that has absolutely no fear or respect of you, and, and it's sitting there considering whether it should beat you or just walk <laughs> off. Um, it's it's a very humbling experience, um, and there's a there's there's quite a lot of so so on one side bow hunting demands a lot of the hunter and it forces you to learn everything. Um, there's no cheating. Either you do it right, or it's just not going to work. I've had uh, I've had 14 Robux this season that I could have shot with a rifle easily, and I shot one with a bow. <laughs> Uh, and I, I haven't had a single time where I was sad that I hadn't brought the rifle because it would have been an easy trophy on the wall. Um, but I've always been happy that I brought the bow because the, uh, almost getting it with the bow is often as good as uh, the feeling is often as good as shooting something with the rifle. It's, it extends the experience. The story gets bigger and bigger and bigger. I've also, uh, I tried, I have, in Denmark, you have to take a separate test with each bow type you want to hunt with. And I hunt with a compound bow, um, which is an extremely precise weapon. Very, very precise. Very much like shooting a rifle. I can recommend it to everybody, except it's, it's highly addictive. Um, but I've also shot the longbow, uh, um, a modern version of a longbow in, in modern composite materials. But it's, it's extremely fast and very, very efficient. Um, but I couldn't, uh, I couldn't, uh, I couldn't qualify for the test. I, 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 I took the test and, and didn't pass, um, which means I can only hunt with my compound bow. And, uh, I'm quite proud of that because we have, of course, I'm frustrated that I couldn't pass, but, um, um, I'm very happy that the rules regarding bow hunting in Denmark are very, very strict. And that if you are a bow hunter, 
you have to practice. We have to take this test every five years. Or they're going to take the license away from you. Well, I, I, thought, um, I, I didn't. I didn't know that. Well, I didn't know it before reading bits and pieces that you'd put online about mm, mm. the regulations with regard to yeah. to bow hunting. Like my brother says, we can't do it at all here. Now, before we go on to the the next question on this, I just want to just because we're talking about the subject. And it's particularly uh, pertinent because of bow hunting, or I think it was uh, it was a crossbow that was used with Cecil the Lion. We're talking a couple of months back now. So my question to you on bow hunting: Not I have shot a bow quite a bit in Africa actually, but I've never hunted with a bow because I don't have the skill for it. But bow hunting compared to killing an animal with a rifle bullet, what is the the difference that, that you know the in terms of the the ethics behind it? Obviously, as hunters, our goal is as quick and efficient and as clean a kill as possible. Does that yeah. not really mean um, that we should use a rifle all the time? I don't know, just putting that out there. Actually, like the, the bow is an extremely efficient weapon. Um, humans have been killing stuff with bows for 10,000 years. Uh, it, it's, a very, it's a very, very efficient weapon, especially the modern uh, compound bow is, is, um, is extraordinarily precise. Um, a good group with a compound bow is within... Um, like a, a two to five inch group on uh, 25 to 30 meters is that's good, but it's not it's not extraordinary. Like you very often you don't shoot on the same target because then you do Robin Hood, you shoot mm -hmm. through your own arrows. It it happens quite a lot. Um, so it's a very very precise weapon. It's also the the blades that we use. You have you see in the movie where I sit and I, I yes, I yeah, we all, saw that. Yeah, yeah, sharpen all the blades. That's not just a Rambo thing. It's not something that we do for the show. It's this is something that we do every time we go out. You sharpen your blades so they can uh, they are sharp as razors, and you test it on your arm. Um, so that's it's it's very very efficient. When when you see an animal, when you take an animal with the bow, it the the bleeding out is quite fast. Uh, what some people freak out a little bit about is that if you see a bow kill, the animal doesn't run very far, and you often see it die. With the rifle, you usually shoot it from about maybe 100 meters, maybe 150. So when it goes down, you don't see the actual animal dying. You just see some legs up in the air. Um, but it's a very it's a very close experience. It's very organic. You can actually see the arrow pass through the animal and listen, and you hear the sound of the uh, arrow passing through the lungs. Um, that's a very organic feeling. It's also very very strong. It's very uh, with a rifle, especially at distances. You sometimes forget you're actually putting a bullet through a body. Um, so 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 when you bow hunt and when you when you take an animal with your bow. Um, it's a very, very emotional experience. Um, talking about the technical side, uh, there's this huge misconception that uh, it, it takes longer for the animal to die from an arrow than it does from uh, uh, from a rifle bullet and that it's more stressful. And it's it's actually quite often that when you shoot an animal with the bow, um, when it's bleeding out, it, it, it doesn't run very far because it's not shocked. It doesn't feel it very much. Uh, those very very sharp blades they just cut straight through and open quite a massive hole um, and uh, and then the interesting thing around it is when when the animal goes down if there are other animals around they'll just keep standing around because everything else there was the, the boom didn't happen like even if you have a suppressor on you still have a sound that disrupts nature you have an unnatural sound with the bow you just have twack 
and I've seen rows standing around the buck going like, why are you lying down? Um, and not understanding what happened. You have, I had with the, with the musk ox, um, there was a, there was another one standing next to it and it had no clue. It had absolutely no clue what happened. But if we shot it with a rifle, then the whole thing would have been disrupted. So again, it's the connection. You are much more a part of your environment with the bow and you have to be more a part of the environment because it's not going to work out. If you, if you are too disconnected, then you can't get that close, especially when you, um, uh, when you spot and stalk, um, then uh, you really get a feeling of your surroundings, um, and you really get a feeling of, of of the ground. That if you if you break that one twig, then everything is just going to get busted. Yeah, it it, it um, has. It's always fascinated me. I, I was yeah. encouraged by my my cousin in South Africa, and one day, I hope to be to be good enough to be able to do it. But my I'm gonna I've always intended to skip the compound step and go to recurve. But as you've very carefully explained earlier by the the test that you guys have to do you really do need a huge amount of skill to be to be able to shoot with one of those yeah. and it's not it's, something it's, to be taken lightly you don't just yeah, it's, put it's, arrows it's, in the air and hope for the best it's not like that yeah it's, i think actually i'm 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 quite saddened that there's so many european countries that doesn't allow bow hunting and and especially britain with such a long and strong history of the longbow um that we actually gave you guys the vikings brought well, the longbow to, to britain <laughs> i'm just saying um and uh, you have this strong, strong tradition and history, and I think a lot of the re- uh, the main reason why bow hunting isn't allowed is because the hunters don't believe in it. Um, we, a lot of hunters who are just rifle hunters and who haven't seen a modern bow and how it works um, still thinks that it's basically just a pointed stick mm-hmm. that you shoot at something and hope that you hit. Um, it's it's really not like that, and uh, and I think but I, I think it's very important that that we as bow hunters keep a very high standard of training, and that we that we aim to be as good as we can possibly be, even more than with a rifle, because yeah. we are we are a minority, and I would like I would like us to to become a majority. Yeah, um, well, I suppose the margin for error is also smaller the, than with a rifle. Would I be right in saying that? Um, actually, but the, 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 the area that you hit is the same. Um, and also that, that you get so close that it's not, if you do a, your margin of error on a, on a 200 or a 300 meter shot on a Roebuck, that's not very big. Like the, yeah. if you, if you jerk the trigger, that's, that's, a, that can really turn out badly with a rifle. Mm-hmm. But when you're within 20 meters of a, of a, of a row, uh, or a bigger animal, then the um, the target that you have to hit is it's actually quite big. Um, of course, like things, it's hunting. Sometimes things don't go as planned. Um, but with the modern uh, equipment, and even a less than perfect shot is still lethal. Yeah. Um, and and the arrow the, they do break bones. It's um, it's 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 quite efficient. Um, so uh, I really. Hope that we can get some uh, some potential British bow hunters to uh, to pick up the bow. There are actually quite a few British bow hunters who hunt uh, overseas or who hunt in uh, uh, in Africa yeah. or uh, Hungary. And uh, you're very welcome to come and visit in Denmark. I think I might have to take you take you up on that offer at some point. But I, I kind of 
in a slightly lesser way, I, I, I can grasp what you're talking about, the, the, the getting in, in close and everything extra that that mm. maybe gives you over you know, standing back at your sort of 100-meter point with a rifle because this season, at the start of the season, I, I shot only with open sights on my rifle. And for the same kind of reasons that you've been talking about, but it meant that I had to bring my 100 down to 50 or less. Yep. Not because it's not possible to do it at 100, but I didn't feel like I was comfortable mm. enough back there doing it. So I, I can I can totally get there. But Daryl, I think you've you got another another good question, and I'm intrigued to hear what the answer to this is. Yeah. So so yeah. basically, I'm just uh, oh, sorry. Yeah, sorry. I just want to make sure that that I'm, I really don't want to be elitist about bow hunting. I think okay. that people should do what they enjoy doing. Yeah. But uh, I I totally agree with do that a lot of a lot of rifle hunters would benefit from challenging themselves a little bit more and uh, there's no reason why you can't sneak up on a roebuck about 20 meters with a rifle i've done yeah. it several times and it's it's a really good challenge so i don't i'm not saying that 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 bow hunters are better hunters i'm just saying that uh, challenge yourself as much as possible and uh, and, and get a bow and <laughs> get a bow <laughs> um so just uh one more kind of question about um, your your movie Heritage. And obviously all the way through you talk about your grandfather and your father. Um, what what would you say is the best piece of advice your father or your grandfather gave you about life and about hunting and managing the land? <clears throat> uh, about uh, life and hunting or managing the land or all three? Oh. Uh, well, you, you take your pick. Yeah, take Probably t- all three. Or... <laughs> yeah. Um, I think it's uh, my my father is, uh, is is still alive, um, and he's probably going to hear this at some point. Um, but I think the best um, the best advice or the best principle they raise us with is um, it's to live your life honestly, um, manage your property with honesty, uh, hunt with honesty. Uh, if you say that you manage your deer herd, or if you uh, if you view yourself as a conservationist, talking about it is not going to help. You actually have to do it. If you want to manage a deer population, you have to uh, get your hair around how many do you actually have, how many heads, how many fawns, how many bucks, uh, what do they eat, when do they eat it, uh, can you increase the number, can you decrease the number. Uh, it's all about knowledge. It's about um studying these things and, and, and really getting your head around the, um, uh, the, uh, the skills that goes into being, being a hunter and being a manager. Um, and it's, again, it's all about honesty. Um, it, it doesn't, it doesn't work to, on, on one hand say that, oh, hunters are, we're conservationists and, and we, we do all this for the benefit of, of, of course, ourselves, but also of nature. And then on the other hand, um, you uh, you do stuff that's illegal or you uh, uh, shoot uh, endangered animals or uh, what's called... Um, uh, the, the, the best uh, example is um, we, we always get accused of uh, shooting... Um, uh, or, or hunters always get accused of shooting... Uh, uh, birds of prey, and uh, which is very topical from, in the UK. Yeah, and it's also topical in Denmark because the 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 ornithologists all try to they they keep saying, oh, but you do this, you do this, you do this, you do this, and 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 for me, it's like you can't 
how I was raised is that you can't call yourself a hunter if you break the law. Then you're a poacher. And I have a very, um, I have a very special place uh, for poachers in my opinion. Um, <laughs> when you did, when you've done anti-poaching uh, in uh, Africa, you kind of develop a, a strong anti. Yes, um, I, can, I can relate to that directly. Yeah, um, and very hands-on as well. Uh, and I'm, I'm very much against uh, wildlife crimes. Uh, and shooting a, shooting a, a predator or a bird is a wildlife crime. And hunters don't do wildlife crimes. Um, so, again, it takes me into that, that hunter, in my opinion, is the custodian of the land. You're the custodian of your forest, of your area. It's your responsibility to learn as much as you possibly can, but also to teach as much as you possibly can. Um, it's like the custodian in a museum. If you ask them about a painting, they said, well, I don't know and I don't care. <laughs> That's never going to happen. Um, same thing with a hunter. You, you, you have to learn more about your environment, your area, than just what you can shoot and how far away it is. Mm, then yeah. that, that's, it's, it's, um, you have a responsibility. Um, so, uh, yeah, honesty and responsibility. I think that's, that's, that's one of the main things. And then I think, uh, on the last one is that, uh, They've also taught me that that you only have like everything is final, everything dies in the end. At some point, your granddad is not going to be around. At some point, um, the trees are being uh, cut down, and then something else has to grow up. Mm-hmm. Um, having that understanding that that life ends, and that's okay. Uh, and, embra- that's actually, and embracing it. Yeah, and and embracing it. It 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 really gives you. It really gives you a sense of, of urgency that if you want to do something, you have to do it. You can't just sit around and go and, oh, I wish I, I did this and this and this. Oh, if I just chose a job where I could do what I love doing. Um, that, that's not going to work. Like, either you do it or you don't. Um, what also, what's also nice about learning about your own, uh, your own finality is that um, it it also teaches you that that life it might end, but it also continues in the next life, being your kids or being your grandkids or being your nephew, in and and you can actually you can extend the story of a person into other people's lives. Yeah. Uh, I just we just brought my my nephew who's four on his first hunt in my granddad's forest this weekend or the last weekend. And and seeing this tiny, tiny little guy walking with his mother in his hand, and he's crawling over these trees, and he's really struggling. And I did the exact same thing in the exact same spot. And mm-hmm. my sister did the exact same thing in the exact same spot. And at some point, my uh, he's already learned a lot about my grandfather, but he's going to learn more and more. And, and my grandfather's vision and the memory of him is going to live on in this little kid's life. And hopefully, Eddie, which is his name, um, will have the same experience and say, okay, my uncle taught me this and this and this, and now I'm going to teach that to my nephew. Um, And he's going to have the joy of seeing this little kid seeing the forest for the first time. Like, imagine all the stuff that we've been through our whole life. Imagine seeing that again. For the first time. For the first time. I almost wish like, I could. And I, yeah, I think I'm, I'm actually quite, I'm, I'm quite envious <laughs> yeah, of new hunters that they get to shoot the first animal. Again. Because they're like, ah, that was extraordinary. It it's was. like, 
all of those things a, that we yeah. we did for the first time uh, you know I, I, mm. I can't even if i had to bottle up everything that i've done already and i want to do so much more into you know a single emotion i think it would just explode but uh what you say i i, I wheartedly agree with and i think it what it boils down to is that everything that we do is partly because uh, for our own enjoyment but it's mostly for the continuation and for the next generation and that we need mm. to make sure that what whatever we do you know whether that be uh, be in hunting and management or life in general that we're leaving it in, in a way that is better or at least the same but hopefully better for for those people who come after us yeah and what, what i like about it is it's actually possible like in these days, we talk about the, the everything is going bad and crisis and the environment is crashing and uh, uh, total catastrophes around the corner. Um, when you're a hunter and when you manage manage your land, you can actually make it better um, quite easily, especially if nothing's been done to it. If you manage it for two, three hundred years, it's kind of it's pretty tweaked already. Um, but what, when you start out in a, uh, maybe a, a normal farmland or somewhere, and you really want to create something, you say, okay, we want to create the best uh, area for deer or the best area for ducks, and we want to do it as natural as possible. It doesn't take very long. Um, and, uh, and 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 the, uh, the evidence of what you've done shows itself quite fast. Mm-hmm. And it's something that I I would love to inspire more people to spend more time with the land management, spend more time um, also just with, it, it doesn't have to be your hunting ground, it could also just be your garden, to get more insects, plant more funny stuff, plant stuff that the birds will, that will uh, attract insects so the birds will come, and when the birds come, then the predator birds come, and then you have that whole ecosystem. The you whole can do that on the, start to finish. Yeah, and you can do it on the top of your house in the middle of the city. Um, again, it's it's the hunter's mentality. You don't actually have to kill something to, uh, in order to enjoy it. It's it's creating life. Yeah, no, and, I, I think you know what, and, and that is exactly the key. It's about sustaining life. Hunting is actually yeah. about sustaining life, and it's a very difficult thing for people who are yeah. not hunters to get their head around. Now, there's one thing I just want to touch on very quickly before we uh, hear a clip from the other film, which we're going to talk about briefly, um, that you made in British Columbia. And I don't know, probably 10 minutes ago now, uh, you were talking about how anything that is being done illegally is not hunting, it's poaching. And I, I just wanted to reiterate the fact, and I, I always make a point of trying to express this to people, is that in the media, what we hear and what, what we see written down, there's this massive blurring between hunting and poaching. You see the word hunting used when there has been a big poaching occurrence where something has been maybe shot illegally with guns, if it's you know half a herd of elephant that have been gunned down with AKs, hunting will be somewhere in the text there. That's not hunting, that's poaching. And that is something that we should, whenever we hear that mistake, as hunters, we should be writing letters, we should be on the phone, and we should make sure that the media do not blur that line. We have the right to call ourselves hunters because of everything that we do. Those people who are breaking the law do not have the right to call themselves hunters. No, I, I totally agree. I'm, um, we've had a we've had a talk about it quite a few times in the in the circles of of hunters that I um, that I frequent, and and my my usual example is to say that well, there's also a difference between sex and rape. Mm-hmm. It's sex is is something that that hopefully is fun for everybody, 
Um, and, and I never and thought we'd get to that. <laughs> and a sustainable, sustainable activity. Um, uh, whereas rape is the destruction of something beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, if, when you watch Heritage and when you watch all the stuff that I make, it's, it's love stories. Um, because I love what I do and I love hunting and I love the animals and I love th- that life. Um, so, so I think that, 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 that that emotional bond translate quite well between like you have hunting and you have uh, uh, sex and you have kids and you have um, family and you have all these like very very base uh, deep down emotions your connection it's very with raw your as well it's it's the basis what? of life it's very raw it's the almost the basis yeah it's very of raw it's, it, again it's something it's very it's very honest it's very um, it's it's very real it's it's also something that everybody can connect to. Um, whereas the the criminal the criminal activity of destroying something like that, I, I, in my personal opinion, I think we should punish poachers a lot harder than we do. Mm-hmm. Um, in Sweden, they are really really hard on poaching, and uh, I I I applaud that. I think it's a it's the right way, especially like sometimes stuff happens that wasn't intentional, um, and we have to leave some space for the gray areas. But when you know that this guy did something, like if you shoot an elephant with an AK-47, you know you're doing something wrong. Um, if you uh, if you shoot uh, uh, if you shoot an eagle out of the sky, you know what you're doing, and that should be punished. Um, and it's just like uh, uh, just like uh, unconsensual sex, that should also be punished. Like you should treat your partner with respect. Um, so yeah, again, it it all evolves around these very raw emotions that is controlled by respect and honesty and a love of what you have and appreciation of what you have. Mm-hmm. I think um, we've got a, a a snippet here from from your the other yeah. film that you made in British Columbia, which I think probably expresses well a, a snippet that expresses your kind of uh, your feelings. So we're going to play that now, and then we'll, we'll talk about the film briefly. Life's great adventure is different for everybody. For me, it's about doing what you love. And what I love to do is go hunting. As a hunter, I live to travel the world and see new places. I want to go where I've never been, see the other side of the horizon, and learn as much from nature as it's willing to show me. And just as you were getting into that, we're going to have to stop it there. Join us in two weeks' time when you get to hear the second hour of this podcast. I'm sure that you will all agree with me that it's been absolutely fascinating so far. And do make sure that you check out all the details so that you can go and look at the two films we've mentioned already. Now, please don't forget to subscribe on iTunes, YouTube, and SoundCloud. And remember, if you are a subscriber on iTunes, you will get it a day early. This podcast has been brought to you by the Scottish Association for Country Sports.